Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, yes, it is an unusual feature of this service that we begin with the sermon. We are used to having the message and its meaning come later and closer to our celebration of the Lord's Supper. But this rearrangement is especially appropriate on this Monday Thursday when we draw the line connecting the Passover given to God's Old Testament people to the Holy Supper that contains the New Testament in Christ's blood. The message and its meaning come long centuries before their complete fulfillment in both the sacrament and in Good Friday's awful events. So we begin this evening by reading the account of the first Passover and God's instructions for its continued observance in Exodus 12, 1 to 14 and 21 to 30. The Lord told Moses and Aaron this in the land of Egypt. This month is to be the beginning of your calendar. It is to be the first month of the year for you. Tell the entire Israelite community that on the tenth day of this month, they are to take a lamb or a kid goat for themselves, according to their father's household, one lamb per household. But if the household is too small for a whole lamb, then that person and his neighbor next door to him must select one based on the number of people. Determine what size lamb is needed according to how much each person will eat. Your lamb must be unblemished, a year old male. You may take it from the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the fourteenth day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the Israelite community is to slaughter the lambs at sunset. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they eat the lamb. That night they shall eat the meat that has been roasted over a fire, along with unleavened bread. They shall eat it with bitter herbs. Do not eat it raw or boiled in water, but roasted over a fire with its head, its legs, and its internal organs. You shall not leave any of it until the morning. Whatever remains until the morning you shall burn in the fire. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt ready for travel, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For on that night I will pass through the land of Egypt. I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. Against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. There will be no plague among you to destroy you when I strike down the land of Egypt. This day shall be a memorial for you, and you are to celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. Throughout your generations you must celebrate it as a permanent regulation. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take lambs for yourselves according to your family size and slaughter the Passover lamb. You shall take a bundle of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and paint the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you are to go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over that door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. 
You shall observe these instructions as a perpetual regulation for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you, just as he said he would, you shall observe this ceremony. So when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? You will say, it is the sacrifice of the Passover to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt. When he struck the Egyptians, he spared our houses. The people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites went and did all this. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, even all the firstborn of the livestock. During the night, Pharaoh got up, he, all his servants, and all the Egyptians. And there was a loud outcry in Egypt. But there was not a house where there was not someone dead. Now, the first connection between the Passover and the Lord's Supper, as we'll see from tonight's Gospel, is chronological, although it is hardly coincidental. Jesus and his disciples are eating the Passover meal when he institutes his supper. Another connection is theological and is made directly by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5.7 when he says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Paul is there connecting the suffering and death of Jesus on the cross, the sacrifice of the one John the Baptist acclaimed as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, He's connecting that to the lambs sacrificed by the Israelites that first Passover and every Passover since. But there is much more of a message and far more meaning here than just those two more obvious connections. We can start with the lamb itself. The Lord is very specific through Moses about what kind of animal it must be. Unblemished. This was not an occasion to, to get rid of the lamb with the broken leg or the malformed ears or the scars from the dog attack. This was to be the best of the best, killed at a year old, before it had a chance to grow into adulthood and, and contribute its, its wool or meat as a mature ram. The extravagance of the sacrifice of this perfect lamb foreshadowed the the seeming folly of Christ's death just a, a few years into his ministry when, when there was still seemingly so much that he could do on earth. But even more importantly, it pointed to his absolute innocence and sinlessness. He was crucified for a crime he never committed and, and killed never having committed any crime Though he as a man was, was tempted in every way, just as we are, as the Son of God, he was able to withstand those temptations and never sinned, not even in thought. He was innocent and unblemished, and he was sacrificed for all the world's sins as our Passover lamb. It is also worth noting how the people were instructed to consume the lamb entirely and have nothing left over. Christ's self-sacrifice was similarly complete. He gave his all, his very life, and finished his mission. 
He left nothing undone and nothing ungiven. But at the first Passover, the part of the lamb that had the most important purpose was was not what was eaten by the people. It was the blood. It is hard to imagine what it would have been like to, to drain and collect the lamb's blood and then paint it on the doorposts of their homes. It can't have been a comfortable thing at all, but it was necessary and it was vital. And though it seems like a simple thing, that blood of the lamb delivered the Israelites from death. The Lord passed over every home that had the blood on its doorposts, but struck down the firstborn in every house in Egypt that did not have the blood. This was the last of the ten plagues visited on Egypt. And after this, Pharaoh finally released the children of Israel from their slavery and and sent them on their way. And that meant that the blood of those Passover lambs was powerful. Even though it delivered the Israelites from death, the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, is even more powerful. It delivers us not from physical slavery or death, but from our bondage to sin and from the eternal death that is damnation to hell. As John says in his first letter, the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. And that is what Christ gives us and and what we receive in the Lord's Supper. Not just a reminder of what He did for us, or as the, the later celebrations of the Passover were just in memory of God's deliverance. It gives us actual deliverance. Forgiveness for our sins, salvation, and life in place of death. But what the blood and the sacrifice would achieve that night in Egypt, even if only physical and temporal, was of huge importance. We note then something that was just as we should expect. Exodus tells us that the Israelites did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. They were not going to add their own ideas or exercise their own judgment about what was necessary or or what it all might mean. They took the Lord at His word and did exactly as He said. That serves as a reminder about the Lord's Supper to all Christians as well. When we consider the power and the importance of what is given us in Christ's body and blood, we will take care not to add our own ideas or embellishments or, or exercise our own judgment about what is necessary about, or about what it all might mean. We will take the Lord at His word and do as He says. Well, now we have considered the what and the how and the why of the Passover and the Supper. But what about the who? The Passover was a meal to be shared. The Lord gave explicit instructions concerning how families and households should observe the feast together. 
But it was not only shared in in those small groups. It was also something that the entire nation, the people of God, joined together in. On that night, everyone in Israel was doing the same thing at the same time for the same reasons, counting on the same promises of God. And what do we have with Christians and the Lord's Supper? We have a holy meal shared in the small groups of congregations at their altars, but we also have a gift to the entire church, the people of God, that joins believers together in a common confession of faith, doing the same thing for the same reasons, counting on the same promises of God. But there is a separation along with the unity and the fellowship. Just as both the feast and the blood on the doors separated the Israelites from the Egyptians they lived among, separating those who would live from those who would suffer death, so also the Lord's Supper separates believers from unbelievers, those going on to life from those going on to die. Tragically, the supper also separates those Christians who believe and do just as the Lord has commanded from other Christians who do not. That separation is not what we or God or anyone wants, but it is the reality we deal with because we are sinners living in a sinful world, just as the Israelites wouldn't necessarily have wanted the firstborn in every house in Egypt to die that night while theirs lived, but that was the reality they were dealing with. The difficulty of such situations calls not for equivocations or or wishy-washiness, but steadfastness. The Lord told the Israelites to be firm and resolute not only in carrying out his instructions for the Passover that first time, but also in doing so every year to follow, in solemn and faithful remembrance of the way that he kept his promises of love and delivered them from their slavery in Egypt. This perpetual regulation for them and their descendants was not established because God had some kind of egotistical need to to be appreciated every 12 months. It was instead provided to his people as a gift to, to strengthen their faith in him and by pointing them regularly to his blessings in the past to make them more ready and able to trust him for deliverance in the present and the future. When the people of Israel after they entered the promised land of Canaan, were faithful in observing the Passover, their relationship with the Lord was good and they enjoyed His rich blessings. But when they allowed that relationship to fall apart, they stopped being steadfast with the Passover. And the blessings that they had enjoyed as His faithful people were lost because of His, because of their faithlessness. But God... God is always faithful when his people are not. And just as he returned to bless his people again when they repented and began again to serve him, 
So Jesus is faithful with all His promises regarding His supper, even when believers have not been good about properly practicing the sacrament, trusting what He says about it, or or taking it as often as they should. He is steadfast in His presence, leaving no doubt, telling us every time it is celebrated that this is my body, and this is my blood. And not only his, word, his words in instituting his supper, but, but Paul's writing about it in 1 Corinthians make clear that this is not merely a remembrance of what was or an encouragement to spiritually picture what might be, but it is the reality of what is. Christ's own body and blood, always present in, with, and under the bread and wine, every time it is consecrated and received by His people, until the end, until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. That, that is what Jesus says when He gives His disciples and the whole Christian church they represent this marvelous gift, this means of grace. And that emphasizes that this is a gift that He intends us to use all the time throughout the life of the church until the resurrection. When He returns and, and takes His people home to Him, with Him to heaven to feast in His presence forever. And so we... His saints, the ones made holy and sinless by His sacrifice for us on the cross, when, when He took our place and paid the price of our guilt with His life and blood, we are therefore going to follow through, to choose and work, to be steadfast in regularly receiving and, and making use of the Lord's Supper just as He gave it to us because He will always be steadfast in giving us its blessings, forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. So exactly what kind of steadfastness does His steadfastness inspire in us with His Holy Supper? The Israelites, keeping God's old covenant, were motivated by His gift of life through the blood of the Passover lamb because that was a clear sign of his love for them and his power to deliver them and to do for them all that he had promised. We, with the new covenant in Christ's blood, are motivated by an even greater gift of life through the body and blood of the Lamb of God. Eternal life. Life in the perfection and bliss of paradise. Life in the presence of our loving God. Life as it was meant to be before creation was corrupted and our entire existence poisoned by sin. And so as believers, we seek the Lord's Supper often. And as a congregation, we offer it regularly and frequently. Why, why would we want to pass on an opportunity to receive such blessings? Is twice a month really enough considering how often we sin and how much we need this assurance of forgiveness and strengthening of faith? 
would it ever be possible to, to overdo the sacrament so that you end up with too strong a faith or too comforted a heart or too many sins forgiven or too much eternal life? No, the answer. And of course, there is also the blessing of the fellowship, the communion that we enjoy every time we commune together and, and in so doing make a joint confession of faith and unity. We need this family connection and encouragement more and more in this life and world, not less. And so we work to be steadfast with this sacrament because in it our Lord gives us life through his body given for us and his blood poured out for our sins. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Let us be faithful, eager, true, and steadfast. Let us keep the feast. Amen. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever.